0: We're delighted that you're here to worship with us this morning. There was such a buzz before the 930 service because we started back with kids' ministry. And just to hear the kids uh, in the church and getting into their small groups was uh, wonderful. We also had the second through fifth graders in here worshiping with us in the first pa- part of the service. Uh, so again, it was just wonderful having them back in. we're grateful to our volunteers who uh, spent time teaching and leading our kids this morning. Uh, Well, just want to encourage you, take your Bible, take the Scriptures, turn to Judges chapter 10. Uh, We're going to continue in our uh, study of Judges, and uh, we're looking this morning, the judge that God chose, Jephthah. That is the judge we're looking at this morning. Uh, It's interesting to me that the Old Testament sometimes gets the shaft. Here's what I mean by that. If you were to think about how much time you spend studying and reading the Old Testament versus how much time you spend studying and reading the New Testament, which would balance out the most? Now, take out Psalms, take out Proverbs, because we know that's usually the books that most people go to in the Old Testament, right? So as you were to weigh that, where do you spend most of your time? Well, the joy that's been for me as Pastor Bo has walked us through Judges is the fact that we see God's interaction not only with the people of Israel but we see countless times through judges God's interaction with individuals and so I've enjoyed listening to Pastor Bode walk us through this and teach us through this. I've also enjoyed walking through judges with my small group as well. We've been able to take what Pastor Bode teaches, we've been able to take what we uh, the teaching we see in right now media and just walk through the questions together to get a deeper understanding of Judges, but more importantly, to get a deeper understanding of God's interaction with His people. And so we're going to continue that together as well. One of the things I think we miss sometimes, let me rewind a little bit, is so often we'll take a verse of Scripture, or we'll take a passage of Scripture, maybe three, four, or five verses And we'll dive into that, and we'll just see what that has to say. And we miss sometimes the big picture that God has in the entire book of the Bible. I was challenged years ago when I was in seminary, and I was riding with a friend to to our uh, classes. And we were just talking about how we spent time alone with God. What was our reading of the scriptures like? And he shared with me that a person that had challenged him one time, say, "I want to challenge you to take an entire book of the Bible and read it all the way through in your time with the Lord." And so I think he threw out something like the book of James in the New Testament. He said, "You know, so I read the first chapter, and in that same sitting, I read all the way to the end of the book of James." He said, "What the Lord taught me was all the connective pieces of that entire book of James." And for me, that's been the case as we've walked through Judges together. We see all the connecting pieces of God, the chosen Judges, and the people of Israel. And how God constantly worked in and through them. We get to see a little bit of what maybe we look like as the characters of the people of Israel. So let's continue to jump in together. Turn to chapter 10. We're going to start in verse verse 6 of chapter 10. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit throughout 10, 11, and 12. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Asheroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve Him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and He sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites we see this word in verse 6 pop up the word again so once again the people of Israel are going back through their cycle of rebellion crying out to God God rescuing them rebellion crying out to God God rescuing them but I look at that word and I'm going you know what I can identify with the word again So often I look at myself and go, again, David, you're disobedient to God in this area of life. Again, David, you're not listening to God. What about you? Does that word sometimes pop up in your mind as well? Again, in your relationship with the Lord. But the people of Israel, as it says there, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. So once again, they're in that cycle of turning away from God and turning towards the culture And as it says here, they turned towards the gods of the people. Several gods, not just one, but multiple gods. They got caught up in that culture and the worship and the serving of those gods. But it says there, right right at the end of verse 6, and they forsook. The idea there is they left behind their relationship with God. They abandoned God. They made a conscious choice after knowing all that God had done for them by saving them, by rescuing them. You see, prior to this, in verses 1 through 5 of Judges, chapter 10, we see that 55 years they were blessed. 55 years. Because of the judges that God appointed, they were blessed during 55 years. Now, you and I go all the way back to the Exodus When God chose Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and then the children of Israel were handed off from Moses to Joshua and then from Joshua to the judges, there are multiple years in there in which the children of Israel would follow God, disobey God, cry out to God, and God would rescue. A long stretch of time. So coming out of 55 years of serving the Lord, being blessed by God, they find themselves back in the same place again. And so they abandon God. And it says there they did not serve him. So part of that abandonment was turning their back on God and turning towards these other gods and serving those gods. We also see in this passage that the Lord's anger kindled. But it says that he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Amorites. The word sold there is not the same context that you and I would use, like I was to sell you something for a monetary gain. The idea behind this is that that the Lord released. He released the children of Israel into the hands of the Ammonites and the Philistines. Paul in Romans chapter 1, verses 24, 26, and 28, he uses this phrase three times in talking to the Christians in Rome, he used the phrase, God gave them up. Because of their rebellion, God gave them up. God gave them up to their choices. God gave them up to their decisions. God gave them up to the way of life that they wanted to lead instead of leading the life that God desired for them to lead. In verse 10, we see, And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. This was the people of Israel's first attempt of repentance. I say first attempt because we're going to see here in a second they go back to God and ask Him for forgiveness. But it's one of those half-hearted repentance. Maybe you can identify with that. You've sinned in your life, and you're asking God for forgiveness, but at the same time you're kind of doubting whether or not you really want to stop doing what you're doing. And that was the case for the the people of, of Israel. They wanted God to rescue them. They wanted God's forgiveness. But at the same time, they were a little bit comfortable in doing what they were doing. You see, for 18 years, they were oppressed by the Philistines and the Ammonites. 18 years. When God first heard their cry, he allowed it to go unnoticed. We see that there in Scripture. Look with me, if you would, in verse 11. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites, from the Ammonites and from the Philistines? Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. God reminds them of how many times, you see, in verse 12, he goes on to give them all the the names of of the enemies in which he had rescued them from. Did I not save you? What's happened to your memory? Don't you recall when I came in and I rescued you from the hands of your enemy? But he says, I will save you no more. Can you imagine being those people hearing those words? They come to the Lord the first time, we need your help, we need you to save us. But God knew their heart, He knew their intentions. And he wasn't liking what he was seeing. And then in verse 15 we see, And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. They now feel the weight of their disobedience. They now feel the weight of turning their back on God. And they feel the weight of God's first response to them. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. And here is their change of heart from the first time they asked God to save them do to us whatever seems good to you. It's almost like they're just dropping their hands like, you know, we can't do this anymore. We can't live in this oppression. And we need your help. We need you to rescue us. Not only that, they said, only please deliver us this day. So not only do what you can do, but today, Lord, today, deliver us. And here's an important aspect of what they chose to do. Not only were they giving God the words of their mouth, now they're giving actions to their words, in verse 16. So they put away the foreign gods from among them. So they made a conscious decision. All the gods that they had been worshiping, all the gods that they had been serving, now they got rid of them in their homes. They got rid of them in their lives. And now they were going to be true to God and serving God. It says, So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And it became impatient over the misery of Israel. So during this time of 18 years, as the Lord heard their cry, as the Lord watched them, the Lord finally decides, I'm going to rescue you. I am going to pull you up out of the oppression that you're in. And so... What the people don't see is that God is beginning to work in and through the life of Jephthah and preparing a judge for them to lead them out of this oppression in verse 18 we read this and the people, the leaders of Gilead said one to another now I find this phrase right here in this this verse unique or maybe not unique makes me curious because in Judges chapter 1 What we see when Joshua died is that the people of Israel came to God first and said to God, who will you give to us to lead us? But in this moment, they look to each other. Don't know the reason why, but they choose to look at each other. The fact of the matter is, no matter what, God still will carry out what he desires. We go on to read, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And then as we jump down to verse 11, Jephthah comes onto to the scene. And in verses 1 through three, 3, we get a description of who Jephthah is. We get an insight of his background. We get an insight of what type of leader he could possibly be. Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. But he was the son of a prostitute. Gilad was the father of Jephthah, and Gilad's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. Now, I don't know about you, But when I read that description of Jephthah, I'm thinking, that doesn't sound like the resume that you would go looking for to be the leader of your tribe. But yet God, in God's wisdom, God, in God's guidance, God, in all of his power, knows exactly who he wants for that moment in time for the people of Gilead. Could you imagine... Being asked to leave your home by your brothers. Could you you imagine being kicked out as if to say, you're not worthy to live in this house? And then to find yourself among a group of other people. And it's interesting that it says, worthless fellows collected around him. It would be nice if verses one through three maybe stretched out to a few more verses to get a glimpse of what these worthless fellows were like, why they collected around Jephthah. But it gives us enough to know of the person that Jephthah is and why God is going to choose him. Not based on man's standards, but based on God's. And then jump down to verse 6, and they said to Jephthah, Come and be our leader, that we may fight against the Ammonites, But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Like, you guys forgot already that you cast me out? That I left the town at your order? Have you forgotten that? This is For me, this is a hilarious response from the elders of Gilead. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. That is why. Because you haven't been living around here, this is the reason why we're coming for you. That might speak on the, ha- the fact of as they looked around the room, the elders in the room, they kind of went, well, you're not going to be a leader, and you're not going to be a leader, but yet you are the elders And then they looked, not even the the sons of Gilead who cast Jephthah out, they couldn't even stand up to the task. But again, the fact is God is the one that is choosing the leader. In chapter 11, verses 9 through 11, basically we see that Jephthah and the elders come to an agreement together. And basically Jephthah negotiates his contract, you could say, with the elders of Gilead. And then in Judges 11, all the way through 12, verses 12 through 28, now is going to face the army of the Ammonites. But before that, we get a glimpse of the character of Jephthah. Before that, Jephthah goes to the king of the Ammonites, and he tries to work out with the king a way of keeping them from going to battle against each other. Four different ways that Jephthah tries to reason with the king. But the king doesn't want to listen. In verse 29, we do see what sets, what sets Jephthah apart from all these potential leaders. It says, then the spirit of the Lord was on upon Jephthah. That was the difference. That's what set Jephthah apart from all the other potential leaders that may have been there in the tribe of Gilead. Jephthah had the spirit of the Lord. And he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. And here's the turning of the story for me. This is the part that's just kind of like, wow, weighs heavy. It says, And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's. And I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Here's the thing. God did not require Jephthah to make this vow. God didn't request Jephthah to make this vow. There was no reason for Jephthah to make this vow. Wasn't anybody that he had hung around with that said, hey, maybe you want to negotiate with God here, unlike one of the other judges that we saw that needed a little, that needed a little more assurance. There was no reason for Jephthah to make this vow for the Lord because what we see earlier in the passage is that, that the Lord, had, his spirit had all already fallen upon Jephthah. There was no need to make the relationship, the commitment, any stronger than what it already was. But yet, Jephthah didn't guard his words. And he made the vow. In Judges chapter 11, verses 32 through 33, we see that the Lord gives Jephthah the battle. There was no question that Jephthah was going to win the battle. All through the many, many years that Jephthah would have known about the battles that his people were engaged in with all the enemies, he saw that the Lord came through with his promise. He saw that the Lord would always win the battle and that the Lord would always always rescue the people. There was no doubt. In verse 35, though he returns home, can you imagine There's probably excitement at this point. We've won the battle. I'm returning home. I'm going to to follow through with my vow. Verse 35, and as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter. Can you imagine the emotions that were going on right at that instance as soon as Jephthah saw his daughter? He heard the the vow that he made to the Lord probably so loud, it was probably louder than anything else he had ever heard. You have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. I read that verse, and I went, wait a second, Jephthah. Why are you throwing this on your daughter? She's not the one that made the vow to the Lord. She's not the one that opened up her mouth and allowed those words to come out on your behalf. It was you, not her. Why throw that on her? For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. And we get a glimpse of the character of his daughter as far as her perception of the Lord. And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. You see, one of the things that's going on here is Jephthah, yes, he had faith in the Lord, but just like the people of that time, there was still the struggle and the battle of living in the culture, and he was battling in one place to serve the Lord and do what the Lord wanted him to do, and in the other place he was battling about doing what the culture was doing, and this is where that conflict arises for him. Now he's got to fulfill the vow that he made. Not that the Lord wanted him to fulfill it, not that the Lord required him to, not that the Lord wanted him to. But yet here he is in the midst of being double-minded. If he would have had a singular focus on just the Lord if his thoughts would have been completely obtained by serving the Lord and doing what the Lord had called him to do, he wouldn't have made that vow. There was nothing else needed for God to do what God was going to do. You and I can't live out our faith and at the same time live out of the culture. The two will collide. The two will cause chaos in your life and my life when we try to live in both ways. Even when we see in Scripture it says, You're lukewarm. God says, I will spew you out of my mouth. You can't be in both ways. So what do we gain from looking at the children of Israel? What do we gain from looking at Jephthah, the one that God appoints as the next judge of the people of Israel? I don't know about you, but after I read scriptures, I just ask myself the question, God, what do I need to know? What do you need to know that benefits my relationship with you, that benefits my relationship to others, and that will help my faith grow deeper in relationship with you? Here's a few things that that stuck out to me. Maybe there's a few that you've got, but the first thing that stuck out to me is this. Guard yourself against abandoning God. Guard yourself against abandoning God. The people of Israel found themselves in a culture that basically overtook them. They weren't strong enough in their faith to withstand the pressures of their culture. Therefore, they gave in to the gods, the idols of that day. And the end result was they abandoned God. The influence of the culture was stronger on them than the influence of God. Warren Wearsby says, The greatest judgment God can send to his people is to let them have their own way and not interfere. That's what happened when God said, I'm I'm removing my hand. I'm not going to rescue you. I'm going to allow the oppression to follow through. I'm going to allow what you created to have its way with you. The greatest judgment God can send to his people is to let them have their own way and not interfere. Has there ever been a time in your life where you chose your way over God's way and then you looked around and wondered, why are these things happening to me? Because you tro- chose a different path than what God wanted for you. And God said, if that's the path you're going to go, I'm going to let you go that path. So it's kind of the same story that we see when one of the sons came to the father and he says to his father, he says, Father, I want my inheritance. He said, give me my inheritance. I want to go on about my way. And the father says, okay, I will. And the son goes on his way. And my favorite part of that, that story in the, old, in the New Testament is he finds himself in a pig pen. He left this mansion. He left this lifestyle where everything was at his beck and call. And he chose to get an inheritance only to squander away the inheritance and find himself eating what the pigs were eating. And the verse that I love, or the part of that verse that I love, it says, and he came to his senses. Like, you idiot. You traded the pig pen for what your dad had to offer? And many times, we'll trade what the culture has to offer for what we know God wants for us and what is best for us. There will always be things and people in our life that influence us, but can influence us to pull us away from God. What are you doing? What am I doing to guard ourselves against the influence of our culture? One of the things that you and I can do is constantly be in God's Word. We don't know how to respond to culture. We don't know how to respond to life a lot of times because we just don't know God's Word. We don't know God's thoughts and perspectives and and how the world reacts and how we're to react to that because we don't know God's word. That's been the beauty of the study of Judges. We see more and more God's reaction to his people, God's reaction to the culture. Just like the people of Israel, one way you and I can guard against the pull to abandon God is simply get rid of those things that pull our focus off of God people of israel did it they got rid of the idols they got rid of worshiping and serving god that may be what you need to do if you're struggling with abandoning god if you're struggling with the influences in your in your life you may need to get rid of them sometimes for students it's their friends that pull them away from god but you know what same thing is for adults as well it's the people that they hang around with the people that they listen to they're not realizing it, but they're pulling them away from God. The culture that they're in are pulling them away from God. And they just need to rid themselves. Now that's a hard thing to hear. It's even a harder thing to do. But yet if you really want to serve God and follow God and worship God, and these things over here are pulling you in the opposite direction, that's the hard decision that has to be made. Guard yourselves against abandoning God. Turn your back on God but making sure the things in your life aren't pulling you away from God the other thing is no matter what God will not abandon you in God's grace and God's mercy the fact is God will never abandon you God never abandoned the people of Israel we see that in Judges throughout scripture you never see God abandoning his people you never see God abandoning the individuals that relate with God no matter what Even when the disciples turned their backs on Jesus, when he was taken captive, when he was leading to the cross, even those disciples, when they ran away from God, after he came back and and rose again, he went right back to them. He didn't abandon them. He said, listen, we got to get back to work, guys. Forget about that you left me behind. we got to get back to work. God does not abandon you. He does not abandon his people. But maybe you feel like God's abandoned you. Maybe you've thought, God, why have you abandoned me? Why do I not feel your presence? That causes me, when I have thoughts like that, it also causes me to ask ask the question, David, why are you having thoughts like that? Why are you thinking that God has abandoned me? Because as a student of God's Word and in relationship with God, I know that God doesn't abandon me. I know throughout Scripture that is not God's character. So why is this thought entering into my mind and my heart? Who am I listening to? Who's telling me things like this? A lot of times we just have to do a self-evaluation and ask ourselves, who am I listening to? What am I seeing? And usually those are the telltale signs that are telling us, why we're in the state we're in, why we're choosing to turn away from God or abandon God. Again, it goes back to filling our minds and our hearts with the Word of God because that is what solidifies our foundation and our faith in God. That's what gives us the strength in those times of weakness. That's what gives us the strength in those times of battle that comes into our lives. Deuteronomy 31, verse 8 It's when Moses is dying, and now Joshua is becoming the leader of the people of Israel. It says, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you, he will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. These people should have known that, right? One thing the people of Israel did very well is they handed down the stories of their faith from one generation to the next generation to the next generation to the next generation. They knew the story of the exodus. They knew every location they had gone. Jephthah even quoted that back to the Ammonite king. You and I need to realize that as well. The promises never change. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. When you have thoughts of abandonment, that's a great verse to go to. To remind yourself, to remind yourself that God is there with you. Another thing that stands out to me in these chapters is this. God will use who he needs to carry out his plan. God will use who he needs to carry out his plan. I really believe that sometimes God sends people into your life just for a moment in time. I also believe that God sends you into somebody's life just for a moment in time. I've seen that. I've had friends that I've witnessed that in their life. When God needs you and I to do something for Him, He prepares the way, He sets it all up. He prepares the person that He needs. And he prepares the environment in which it's going to take place. God will use who he needs to carry out his plan. It doesn't look like Jephthah would have been the man. But that's you and I looking at it. But when God looked at Jephthah, he saw what he needed. And Jephthah was the one. We see that again in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. The Lord's talking to Samuel It says, But the Lord said to Samuel... Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. You know, We'll look at a person, we'll look at a situation with our eyes through our filter. But we need to look at the situation, we need to look at individuals through God's eyes. That verse goes on to say, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Is what God saw in Jephthah is why he got used. You see, the Lord saw Jephthah's faith as he faced the battle. You see, Jephthah knew that the battle was going to be won. Jephthah knew the outcome was go up to the Lord. Not him, not the people. It's what Bo taught us last week or the week before last. When God took an army of thousands, ten thousands, he whittled an army down to 300 up against an army that had 120,000 that's God's way of doing things not man's way but when God desires to accomplish something through you and in you and with a group of people when they listen to God it will happen you see Jephthah even pronounced to the king of the Ammonites that the Lord was the judge and in this passage right there in chapter 11 verse 27 it's not spelled with a lowercase j. The word there is spelled with an uppercase j, and that's significant. Jephthah knew that the judge was the Lord. It wasn't one of them. It was the Lord, and that made the difference. That's why with confidence Jephthah could go into this battle not even being concerned of whether or not he was going to win because he knew the Lord was with him, and that was why he accomplished what he accomplished. You know, we see that Jephthah was a man of faith because in Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter on the faith lineage, if you wanted to say it that way, throughout this chapter we see these words, by faith, and then goes on to, ex- to explain who by faith did what for God. Over and over again, by faith, by faith, by faith. Verse 32 and 33, it says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises. And the rest of that chapter he goes on and on and on of all the things they accomplished because of their faith in God. You may have a few reasons why you think God can't use you. I've had those thoughts times I still have those thoughts. Why is it that we sometimes have the thoughts that we can't be the person that God wants to use? Probably all kinds of reasons. Jephthah could have come up with a few, but he didn't. Instead, he didn't make any excuses. Jephthah just followed. As God was working, he said yes. And every step of the way, no matter what, Jephthah thought followed through. So my challenge to myself, my challenge to you, is when God asks you to do something, don't question your ability to do it because God's going to give you the ability. God's going to give you the things that you need to accomplish the task that he's put before you. Of course, you you and I can't do the things that God calls us to do on our own strength. It's impossible. There's things along that path that only God can do, and we've got to recognize that but we've got to guard ourselves against coming up with excuses. I don't have time. I don't have time. We make time for the things that are important to us. And if God is important to us and the thing that God has called us to do is important, then we make time for it. You and I have to be ready and willing and to, to say yes and to do what God calls us to do not based on our abilities, not based on our strengths or anything else like that, but simply based on our availability and our obedience to God. The last thing I see here is guard the words you say. Over and over again in chapter 11, we see how good Jephthah was with his words. He negotiated with the elders What he was going to receive for being a leader. He reasoned with the king of the Ammonites, even though the king didn't want to listen. His most, his biggest mistake, though, was allowing his words to go out of his mouth before he really gave time to think on them. When he made the vow of his of of, ended up being his daughter to the Lord. We have to guard our words. Words can either build up or tear down. Words can either bring us close or words can separate us. You can't reel words back in once they're spoken. It does not work like a fishing rod. You can't throw those words out and sit there and go, I'm going to get those back for those. Get to the ear and get to the brain and blah, 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 blah. It doesn't work like that. Once words go out of our mouth, they're gone. The only thing that we can do at that point is if it's not good, is do damage control. We have to guard our words. Learn the lesson that Jephthah taught us about not saying something you shouldn't say. Not saying something that you were never supposed to say to begin with. Again, God didn't require the vow God didn't require Jephthah to make any kind of commitment to him. God just wanted Jephthah to be obedient. God just wanted Jephthah to be available. God just wanted Jephthah to step through to the challenge. Proverbs 21, verse 23 says these words to us. One who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. One who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles, his soul, his heartbeat, who he is, we guard our mouths, we guard our lips, we protect what comes out. It says we reduce the trouble that we bring upon our life. Man, if Jephthah could have known that verse, if the people of Israel could have known that as well, those are the challenges. Those are the things that we see in Scripture that we can learn to apply in our own life. It's so important for you and I to, to always remain in Christ. We see that in the Gospels. We see that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, that we are to remain in Christ. And when we remain in Christ, there's less likelihood of us abandoning our relationship to the Lord. When we remain in Christ, we're less likely to, to say words that got destructive tendencies to them. We're less likely to make promises to our spouse or to our kids or to somebody else that we're never going to be able to hold up to and to keep. It's all in that remaining in relationship to God, staying grafted to who God is and what God is about. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for your love for us. Father, we thank you so much for always as you reveal yourself to us in your word that we know a little more about you each time. We know about ourselves. Lord, through your word, your instruction, we also gain insight to how to live our life. We see what not to do, but Lord, you also reveal to us on what we can do and should do. Lord, help us to take your word at heart. Lord, help us to have to make sure that our relationship with you is constant. Father, help us to realize too, Lord, that it is your grace, it is your mercy, it is your forgiveness, it is your love that reaches out to us, that picks us up in those low places of our life, that reminds us that we've not been abandoned by you you are there just simply to guide us, to love us, to lead us. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for for loving us. We ask this prayer in your name. Amen. I don't know what goes on in your heart or in your mind, but maybe there's something that we read this morning that God just just said something to you. And maybe you're saying, you know, I, I need to talk to somebody to kind of sort through these things. I'll be down front here while we're singing the closing song or even after the service, if you need to talk through what it is that's going on in your heart and mind, or maybe it is you realize you need God to save you in life. That you need to come to Him as your Lord and Savior. You need to establish a relationship with Him. But you don't know what to do with that. I'll be standing down front and love to, love to share that with you. This song that, that the band Leslie are about to share with us And it's become one of my favorite songs that I've recently heard. It is a wonderful reminder of God's love for us. It is a wonderful reminder of that He always has our back. So I pray that you will hear these words clearly. I pray that you will take them to heart, you will take them to your mind and to your spirit as we continue to worship together.